Sweet. Good morning. Let's uh, start out with some shouts. Uh, what do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you guys. Bless you, bless you this morning. Fantastic. It's uh, wonderful seeing you all here. I'm glad that uh, you chose to have fellowship with this morning with us at Jer- Jericho Road Church, whether you're here in person. And uh, we'll say hi to some of our friends online. Shout out a hi to them. Hi, friends online. Hi. All right. So whether, however you're uh, joining us, uh, welcome. Glad you guys are here. We're in a series where we're going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Uh, and we've been the last three weeks. This is our fourth week out of seven. And uh, we've really been seeing the theme of uh, Christ is the, the truth or the truth about Christ. And so today we're, we're going to really dial in and say, see that Christ destroys lies. We had talked about that there were some heresies going on in the church of uh, Colossae. And we're going to see a little bit of that touched on this morning. And so we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can open that. And if you, uh, the verses will be on the screen or if you use it on your phone, however you like to access the Bible. We're going to be in Colossians 2. Uh, looking at verse 6 all the way through 23 this morning. So Colossians 2.6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So I I was reading this verse to my wife, uh, Hedgen, and uh, I said, you know what? That verse right there, that's about a 30-minute sermon uh, just for that one verse, uh, just for those two verses, and we have 17 verses. And so as as I was uh, thinking about this, I was like, I'm not sure how we're going to get through everything. So maybe I was thinking, I just got to talk a little bit faster, but I already talked pretty fast. Uh, but I, I think I got to go a little bit like the Micro Machine Guy. Now that's an 80s reference, so some of you might not know the Micro Machine Guy. So I, I brought him here for you so you could see that. Let's check that guy out real fast. I'm the Micro Machine Man, and I'm waiting to be launched out of time. But first, let me tell you about another launcher, the Micro Machine's Power Launcher. With super storage for two unbelievably ultra fast Micro Machines, simply strap it to your wrist, roll up the roadway, ramp, pull back the power loader, then let her rip. The totally terrific Micro Machine's Power Launcher. The only way to launch a totally terrific ultra fast Micro Machines from the Louvre. And remember, if it doesn't say Micro Machines, it's not the real thing. Oh, oh man, that's some uh, memories, right? That's some. Uh, who knows that commercial? You're like, oh. Oh, yeah, you felt really good right there. You were about to get a snack after school. <laughs> I, like, uh, I was like, return to the childhood on that one. And so, uh, so I, you know, I'm going to have to go super fast, I guess. Like, not, maybe like that. We won't really understand all that's going on. But in our verse today, I think uh, most, of, most of you who are listening this morning, uh, find yourself exactly where this verse is. Pull that verse on up, uh, uh, Tommy, would you do that? Find yourself exactly on this spiritual place where, where you've, at the beginning it says you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've, and, and I would say that's true of most of the persons that are listening this morning, that you've already received Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're well on your way to living your lives for Him. And then Paul recognizes this kind of truth in people that, that were going to receive this letter, and he encouraged them to continue to live their lives in Him. Now, continue means to keep doing it day after day, week after week, because I don't know about you, but for those of us that have been a Christian more than one year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, however long you've been a Christian, sometimes it gets a little bit difficult to continue to do the Christian thing. Sometimes you get a little bit tired of like, you know, or a little bit bored or a little burned out, and you're like, man, I've been to this Bible study every year. When do I graduate the Bible study? You know, like there's like some meme like that. when, When do I graduate this thing? But I think rather to think of it than like a, a class, we probably should think of it like breathing. Oh, man, I just did that like two seconds ago. Why do I have to do it again? Or like eating, you know, we eat pretty regularly. 
And the reason we do that is because if we don't, we're going to die. And so the Bible says you've got to continue on this. Not, not for any other reason other than to live. That's how essential things work. You've got to have them in your life regularly. And so he says, continue to live your lives in him. As believers, we need to keep doing that. And then he says, rooted. Roots are uh, going deeper, getting stronger. Roots are unseen. That's, that's the inward power that comes from, from living your life in him. Rooted, deep down strength. That's internal and unseen. And then it says built up. That's, that's external and growing. And that's, that's what people can see. And he says, as you're living your life in him, rooted, having this, having this faith, he's going to say in just a second, that, that is strong and, and powerful and, and held down in Jesus. And then it is showing up and showing out as it's being built up as a person of God, where other people can experience God's goodness through you. Strengthen in our faith. Remember, Jesus says that he's the vine. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He says, you, you know, you have to have faith, uh, strengthening your faith, and that only happens when you're connected to me. This morning, we're going to see everything is always going back to being connected to Jesus. Everything is back to being connected to Christ the source, whether it's battling heresies, whether it's living for him, whether it's, whether it's uh, shining out, all of it ends up coming back to the core principle of Jesus Christ. And we need to continue in that. We need to keep doing that day in and day out, week in, week out, year in and year out. And then when we get into that really healthy space where we're having those things where we're rooted and we're built up, then this amazing thing happens, that no matter the situation you find yourself in, you are overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is writing this from prison, need I remind us. He's not in, and it's not the nice prison, it's bad first century prison. It's, it's rats and like no food. The only food that you would get is if people brought it to you. It wasn't government-sponsored food. There, was no, there were no prisoner rights at the time. And he says, you know, when I'm rooted and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, built up in God, I, I, I get overflowing with thankfulness. Not just like a little bit like, you know, the one you know you're supposed to do. Like, yeah, thanks, God, for all this. Or thanks, God, if it's going bad, right? It's not just a eking out or a squeezing out of a thanks in the middle of a bad circumstance, because some of you guys are such great Christians that you can do that. You know, you're like, man, God, this is terrible, so I'm just, thanks, God. But this one says it's overflowing. The overflowing is like, a, it's just pouring out over. And so we can have that as we come into this deep, connected, rooted, and built-up relationship with Jesus. But this isn't what the enemy wants. So Paul warns the church, he says in the next section, see to it that no one takes you captive through a hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. So we saw this same fullness statement two weeks ago. And, but there's an interesting addition to it this morning in the beginning, in the initial statement here. He says, be careful of world philosophies as well as spiritual forces of this world. But what are those? What, what's a world philosophy that would endanger Christ or, or this kind of spiritual idea that would endanger Christ? And, and I, I think that it's... Um, it's any spiritual idea that doesn't come and center on Christ, doesn't come from Christ and center on Christ. 
And so, for example, like a, in, in America, a really common uh, answer to if you ask somebody, like, hey, are you going to go to heaven? They will almost assuredly say yes. I don't know anybody that I've ever even seen or heard of unless they're being like totally like, anti-social. Like, no, I'm going to hell. <laughs> like very rarely. Everyone says, yes, I'm going to go to heaven. If you ask them in America why, almost always their answer will be because I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. So this sounds nice, right? It sounds like it's a, a spiritual sort of thing. I'm going to go to heaven. I believe in heaven. And I'm going to go there because I'm a good person. And this is exactly what Paul's talking about. That person is then not based in Christ. It's based on themselves being a good person. And that's a problem. Or at every funeral, uh, every funeral I've ever been to, uh, they say, don't worry, this person, uncle, I don't want to name anyone's uncle because that would be weird, you know, like, uh, uncle, whatever, they're in a better place. That's really common. But that, but that really does depend on whether they believed in Jesus or not. Like Jesus is the only way to a better place. And they are definitely not in a better place if they didn't know Jesus. Now, uh, the funeral is not the right time to inform them of that. It's not the right time to have that discussion. So uh, having this information doesn't mean you need to share it all the time. But, but if uncle, whomever, didn't have Jesus, then, then, look, I don't know if he goes to heaven or not. Ultimately, that's between him and God, like his access or his relationship with God. I can't see his own heart. But if he doesn't have Jesus, he is definitely not in a better place. He is in a much worse place. But this is the sort of spiritual platitudes that we say. But the problem is it's missing Christ. Uncle, whomever, cannot be in heaven unless he has Christ. I can't get to heaven because I'm a good person. I can only get to heaven because of Christ. See, they sound sort of spiritual. He's in a better place. They sound sort of religious, right? Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Another popular spiritual force of the world is acquiescing to the belief in a higher power. Super common in America right now. Yeah, you know, don't, yeah, yeah, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm religiously good. I believe in a higher power. And unless that higher power is Christ, then you have problems. A higher power in and of itself is not sufficient unless that higher power is, in fact, Christ. Or someone will say, like, I, you know, I, I'm a really spiritual person. And, and we tend to say, oh, yeah, oh, that's good, nice. Uh -huh. But being a spiritual person isn't enough to satisfy the criteria to go to heaven. Again, these responses are all misinformed. And a third type of spiritual force or philosophy that we see is when folks say something like, all religions are basically the same. So as long as you're doing your religious thing, it doesn't matter whether you're Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, uh, Hindu, uh, or Christian. It doesn't much matter. All religions are basically the same. And this is simply a statement of pure ignorance. Now, ignorance sounds like a really negative word. Like, but ignorance just means they just are misinformed. They don't understand. The person claiming it doesn't really have a grasp of Christianity at all. And I would say they don't even have a grasp of other world religions if they're claiming that all religions are the same. For example, both Christianity and Islam are strictly exclusive. In Islam, you cannot go to heaven unless you are a Muslim. Nobody else is unless you're a Muslim. And in Christianity, unless you have Christ, you're not going to heaven. See, these are exclusive religions. Even a religion that's inclusive, like Hinduism, can't be true if Christianity is true, because Christianity is an exclusive religion. So even if so, these two don't coexist. They 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 aren't the same sort of thing. They're not teaching the same thing, and and they definitely don't all teach the same thing about God. 
See, Buddhists don't even believe God exists. So to say that, the, I mean, that's just a basic principle of religion. If one religion doesn't believe in, in the existence of a God and the other does believe in the existence of God, that's a basic, significant difference. And, but, it, but it sounds sort of spiritual, right? When you say like, well, all, all religions basically take, teach the same stuff and, and I'm gonna go to heaven because I'm a good person and, and, and I'm a spiritual person. And, and then my uncle, he's, he's in a better place now that he's passed away. They all sound spiritual. They sound mm, wise philosophically almost. And that's exactly what Paul is warning against. Now, do all religions give to the poor? Believe it or not, yes, they do. All religions give to the poor. They, all religions tell their people to give to the poor. Do all religions teach people to care about others? How you define that is a little bit different, but, but yeah, all religions teach people to care about others. So are all religions the same? Well, I would tell you this. The best lies are made up of mostly truths. When I was younger, I would lie often, and uh, my mom came today, and she comes every uh, six weeks or so, and then it happens every time that uh, she comes that I'm sharing some bad story about myself. Um, so, hi, Mom. It's not even Mother's Day, so thanks for surprising us. Um, so when I was younger, uh, my mom, uh, so in my family, I'm the absolute best kid in my family from my mother's eyes, okay, uh, before she started coming to church. Now, uh, my ranking has really dropped precipitously since uh, she's been listening to some of the stories. But, but when I was younger, I would, I would lie often, uh, but I would never get caught. Because I knew that the most successful lies are 80% are true. So I would say, Mom, could I go to Jason's house for a sleepover? She'd say, sure. Are his parents home? And I'd say, yes, that's true. And she'd say, because she's a good parent, she'd follow up. She'd say, what are you guys going to do? Go, oh, we're going to play some video games. That's true. Then we're going to watch a movie. That's true. And she goes, uh-huh, what kind of movie are you going to watch? We said, oh, we're going to watch some Japanese uh, cartoons, animation that come out, a little Voltron, that stuff. And it's true. We really like that. We've watched that kind of stuff. Well, Voltron maybe was American, but, you know, whatever. Um, okay. Uh, she'd say, okay, have fun, sweetie. I'd say, okay, good. Now, I didn't tell her that my friend Jason's mom went to bed at 7 and drank wine and had Ambien or whatever, and so she was not waking up for sure. I didn't tell her that in addition to the cartoon movies we were going to watch, we were also going to go down between the beaded curtains and get some other select videos. Uh, if, you remember, if you know that reference, then <laughs> if you don't, then you just missed that joke, sorry. Um, <laughs> she didn't know that uh, we were not going to stay in the house the entire time. We were, in fact, going to go out and either go to a party or go uh, destroy people's property, which was somehow fun for me when I was younger. Sorry, everyone who I destroyed your property, I'm sorry. May God bless you. And so everything I told her was technically true. I just left out a few of the details, right? But what's that famous idiom, the devil's in the details? Like that idiom couldn't be more correct of today's passage that we're looking at, the devil's in the details. See, the devil is in the slight change of the details so that the philosophies sound reasonable. And the spirituality seems spiritual and genuine and good. Hold on to this thought for the rest of our passage. You're going to need that. The things sound spiritually good. It seems like that would be reasonable religiously. 
The problem is all those philosophies and the spiritual things leave out Jesus Christ, which is the key, most important, critical concept. That's it. It's all Jesus Christ. But religious misinformation becomes all this other stuff and misses Jesus Christ. It ends here in our passage. The fullness of of God dwells in Jesus and believers are united to him in a faith relationship that we are also complete in him so we don't need any other philosophies. We don't need any additions to the religion. We don't need any, any other sort of spiritual platitudes. If we have Jesus, that is enough. So this is the truth of Christ destroying the lies of the false teachers. But Paul moves on and he says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through uh, through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. And I read that passage pretty smooth, huh? But uh, I I hate this passage because in life there are some words that are super awkward. And one of the most awkward words for me is found in this passage three times. And I read it all like a mature person and I seemed like it didn't even bother me. It's like if ever you had the sex ed talk with your kids, you got to like act mature even though you're like dying inside, right? That's a giveaway, kids, if your parents haven't had that. They are also going to be dying inside, don't worry. So I hate this word, but it's in our passage and so I... uh, Totally just faked it right there like I I didn't mind talking about it. Anyway, the point of this verse, though, is that man-made rituals don't make us right with God. It's a supernatural work that only comes through faith in Christ. See, that's what this is talking about. It's not about the the man-made activity that caused a person to be near or right with, with God, rather faith in God. And it mentions here baptism. In many ways, baptism is the New Testament parallel to the Old Testament uh, uh, practice of circumcision. Because in the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward and visible sign of an inward faith in God. But in the New Testament, baptism is an outward and visible sign of an inward faith in God. It's the inward reality that's the key, not the outward symbol. Circumcision didn't save them. Faith did. Likewise, baptism doesn't save us, but faith does. Most of the Colossian Christians are Gentiles. They've they've, they've never been physically circumcised, so this is good news for them because they were like, oh, the false teachers were saying, hey, you guys, as adults, you all need to get circumcised. And those Gentile guys got to be like, um, uh, what is that exactly? And they explained the process to them, and they're like, hmm. I'm going to say no to your religion. You know, like, I'm going to have to go with a no on this one. Like, but so they were, Paul reassures them or assures them that they were in, indeed circumcised, but in a spiritual sense, which is all that matters. The physical circumcision was irrelevant because all that matters is Christ inside them, dwelling with them. Paul continues forcefully. Uh, this is my favorite piece of today's passage uh, in, in Colossians 2.13. He says, When you were dead in your sins, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and it condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And this is like violent, powerful language. Your debt's forgiven. Your debt's nailed to the cross. 
He took your sins and he put them on public notice. Your sins try to accuse you. Jesus says, no, I'll take that sin. And sin, you're now on notice. I'm going to make a spectacle of them. Like what a plot twist. Because if you think about crucifixion was, was meant to make a spectacle of the criminal. They would hang them naked so everyone could walk out. There was no, there's nothing hidden. They're dying on the cross for their crime. And it was meant to make a spectacle of the criminal. And that becomes the nexus point of salvation for all of mankind. Jesus makes a spectacle of our sins, triumphing over them at the cross. So if that's the case, Paul says this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink, or, or in regard to a religious festival or like a new moon celebration even, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that are to come, not the reality, which is however found in Christ. So he says, if my sins are taken away, then I have no condemnation as I navigate this life. It isn't about following religious rules that makes us right with God. Righteousness is found in Christ. And this is a really tough passage for any legalist-leaning people. Because I'm tempted to explain my way around why all of my pet rules, all of the things that I think are so religious, that you all have to do and that we all have to do. And I'm really tempted to explain it away and say, like, well, what he really means is... Christ is enough, but you also should be doing X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, whatever. But rather, what's important are the deep things of righteousness, not the superficial ones. For example, he mentions the Sabbath day, which you would call Sunday for us. It's not the superficial parts that are important. It's the deep parts. So it doesn't matter what you wear. I know this is going to be weird, and it doesn't matter if I came and I spoke in shorts, and if I had sandals, or even I had bare feet. It doesn't matter how we take communion. It doesn't matter uh, whether we have organs or not organs or instruments. It doesn't matter the style of the worship. It doesn't matter whether we have a printed bulletin or not. None of the outward things are what's important. The things that are important are a connection with God. Are you, are you setting aside a time where you can come and intentionally rest in Him? That's what the Sabbath was all about. That's the important stuff. Are you connecting to God? Are you resting? Are you recentering once a week your heart on His kingdom rather than on your kingdom? Are, are you intentionally being in communion and connection to the body of believers? So those are the key important things. The other outside ingredients are, are not really relevant. They're not, in fact, spiritual at all. We sort of think they are. And some of them are useful to get us to the place where we connect to God. But in and of themselves, those things aren't the things. Christ is the thing. And we can, as professional believers, get really good at being professional believers where it's about everything else and we're so used to coming in church that we had the everything else, but we didn't have the Christ this morning. 
is that you? Because I sit here up front sometimes and, and I'm thinking about the sermon and, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm worried about the lights because like, they didn't work and last week like, the, the mute didn't work and I, and I hear the, the boom boom behind me there doing that and, and I'm worried that Yuli's asleep again and his son Thomas follows in his footsteps like father, like son. That's like, that's like half the front row and, and I have all these things. And, uh, and I miss Christ. When I was at church, though, you know, whew, I did my, I'm a good person. <laughs> right? I, I'm spiritual. It's okay. And no, it's not. Not if I missed Christ. Today's a, today's a wash. If you came here, what a wasted day if you came here and you didn't have Christ this morning. If you came here and you are not just a little near to Christ or refreshed in Christ or that it's been Christ in you this morning, then, then you should have watched the Rams game because they're probably on right now, I think. Rather than sort of fake our spirituality and say like, oh, I went to church, so I checked off the box, so I'm fine. It's never about checking off the box. That's exactly what he's saying. The kind of stuff, it doesn't no matter what you eat or you drink or, and, you know, what about if I smoke? It doesn't matter what you eat, drink, or smoke. You want to add that to their, oh, no, the church will collapse. Probably not. You were doing it anyway. It doesn't matter how you perform your religious festival. It doesn't matter the Sabbath even. And this is, this is a Jewish thing, Sabbath. And Paul's a Jewish Pharisee formerly. He says the Sabbath doesn't even matter, not in terms of the rules and the regulation. The Sabbath matters only in the deep things of Christ. Are you connected better to him this morning as you've come into the Sabbath? Are you resting? Are you connecting to the body of believers? So keying in on Christ destroys the lies of legalism. He continues here, sort of in the same thought. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. They say, oh, these people, they're worshiping angels. So lame. <laughs> like, how could they worship angels? That's so lame. But I wonder if we worship things that are a lot lower than angels. We're like, oh, angel worship's so dumb. Boop, 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 boop. Look on your phone. How much time did you spend this week on it? If it's more than 16 hours, like mine probably is, I'm sure you were doing Bible work. Right? How dare we worship anything? We would never worship angels, but do we worship our own kids? We navigate our lives around them. Do we worship our work? So that your work affects your mood, your your emotions, your spirituality, your relationship with your wife or your husband. So he says, don't, don't let that kind of stuff happen. Don't let that kind of stuff disqualify you. This verse is like a smack back against those false teachers rebuking not only their style of presentation, but their false premises that they were using. Paul's genuinely unhappy with these teachers who may have started out well and have some truths, but they've lost the connection to the head. Because again, remember, it's an 80% truth lie. It seems mostly really spiritual what they're saying, but they've missed the connection with the head who is Jesus Christ. Without Christ, genuine growth is impossible. 
because God causes the growth. This is God's growth plan for our church. We remain faithful and connected to him. He grows the church. This is God's faith plan for your growth. You remain connected to him. He will cause the growth inside of you. You don't have to start to do a more religious stuff and, and like add all the check boxes and, and, and eat less of this or more of that or, or start to wear nicer clothes as you become more Christian-y or, or anything like that. You get near to Christ and God will cause the growth. Don't worry about someone else's because what we do right now is like, mm-hmm, they definitely need to get near to Jesus. Look at all this mess, you know, like, no, look at your own mess. Don't worry about someone else's mess. We all got mess. Look at your own mess and say, you know what? I, I, I got in here. I want to grow. I definitely want to grow. And the only avenue or mechanism to growth is to get near to Jesus, not to stop doing bad things. So you say, well, if I'll just stop watching pornography, that's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to stop watching pornography. Well, that's nice and all. But you're not going to grow unless you get near to Jesus because that commitment to stop watching pornography will only last until Wednesday. Your Sunday guilt doesn't last that long. It's got a short time frame. Or whatever your hidden hurts or sins are. See, they don't change because you change them. They only change when you get near to Jesus and everything else is false teaching. That's what Paul's saying. Says y'all missed everything. You had all. You went to the, the the meeting, and then you had the the app tracker, and you had this, and and you had all these other things. But but you missed Christ. You were disconnected from the head. Paul explains further. He said the reason this is true is because you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. You're dead to them. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish. They're not lasting. They're based on mere human commands and teaching. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship or their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. He says, you're going through motions that look really spiritual. And everybody that's looking at you say, man, that person's spiritual. But the things you are doing lack the ability to stop the core problem. They're not taking away the sensual indulgences. They're not talking, taking away the things that are really underneath the surface. We hide behind all this other and something else is going on. And the only thing that remedies the internal is a relationship with Jesus and a nearness to him. These people have been disconnected from him. So this passage says, do not, do not, do not. And that's the perfect description of a legalistic religion defined more by what we do not do than what we do. Have we allowed this in modern America? If you ask someone about Christianity, what will they say? Man, there are so many things I don't get to do if I choose Jesus. Man, that, that is just a religion of, of rules and lists and don't do's. Or if someone looks at you, will they say, you know what that religion is? That's all about loving people. 
I'm looking at it in her. I see her loving people, even when they're unlovable, because we all know who's unlovable at the workplace. And you love them anyway? People are going to be like, wow, that's so weird. It won't matter if you're doing your Bible study and you have your cross and your Christian sticker if you're still just a punk. Be defined by what we do, not what we don't do. Legalism makes the rules more important than the rule giver. The rule itself even trumps the purpose of the rule, which is really weird, right? So you follow the religious rules irregardless of whatever the intent of the thing was. It looks incredibly spiritual, but it's really only about outward righteousness, looking the part, and it doesn't correspond to an inward reality of nearness to God. Legalism is the death of intimacy with God. Legalism means that, that I know about God. I know all sorts of commands that come from God, and, and I want to appear godly, but I've lost the connection with the head, the Christ. He and I are no longer near and intimate. And so let me, let me just say, well, that's not me, of course, because I'm a good Christian. As you're sitting here, did you come here? You got dressed, you got the kids ready, you came down. You sang the songs, you stood at the right time, you, you sat at the right time, you ate the communion at the correct time. And has all of that just been about outside or is that penetrating to the inside? See, all of those parts of those are irrelevant if they're not connecting us to Christ. We have to have intimacy with him because I may look okay on the outside, but inside I'm rotting. I've confessed many times to being a legalist early on in my Christian career. And it started out okay because when I first came to Jesus, I really wanted to please God. And so I said, oh, I'll do anything. So I got rid of all this stuff and I became super legalist for myself. And, and, and then after a little while, it quickly became that I wanted, to, I, I wanted others to see that I was trying to please God. Do you see the quick difference there? I was trying to please God at first. So at first it was okay, but then... And it was just about me. I wasn't trying to tell anyone else to do it. I was just living it because I wanted to be near God. But then it became that I wanted people to notice. So I would pray maybe over here so they could see me a little better. Or I wanted to, people to, to know that I was a good Christian person. And then it morphed again. Not only did I want people to know that I was a good Christian, I wanted to make sure that they looked like good Christians also, at least in my uh, biased form view of what a good Christian would look like. And so... Hey, you can't do that. Hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, that's wrong. Hey, that's sinful. Without even telling them why it might be, and it might be. And I'm not saying that you can do all the sins of all the world just because you want to. But what's important is not the sin, the do or don't do. What's important is the connection with Christ. The only reason someone should quit sinning is because they're near to Jesus and they're intimate with him. Otherwise, it's just superficial nonsense that doesn't actually affect the insides. So it doesn't matter if you take a commitment, oh, I'm not going to do X, Y, or Z, I'm not going to smoke weed anymore, I'm not going to, whatever you're going to do. But it doesn't matter eternally if it's not from the place of Christ, if it's not from the place of intimacy with Christ, if Christ is, like it said, disconnected from the thing that was going on. Legalism may make the outside look right, but as the end of our passage says, it doesn't have any actual ability to restrain sensual indulgences. This is perhaps the greatest indictment against legalism in the Bible right here in this passage because it just doesn't change anything. And God wants real change. That's what did we see earlier, rooted and built up 
strengthened from the Lord. And out of that comes this overflow of thanksgiving. Like the only power for real change and growth comes in Christ. He destroyed the lies of the enemy and the world and, and our own self-lies. See, the lies can only be combated by Christ, not by like, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a better person. Please don't be a better person after this. And you know what I'm saying by that, right? Don't take me out of context. <laughs> My pastor said not to be a better person. But don't go and try to be a better person. After this, this morning, I want you to go and try to be nearer to Jesus and, and let him work out the better person or not. And it doesn't matter if anyone else thinks you're a better person or not. What matters is what Jesus thinks about you. Work on your intimacy with God. Rooted, filled up, and strengthened in your faith. And out of that place, it won't matter what happens this week. You'll be overflowing with thanksgiving. It doesn't matter what other people think about your religiousness or your spirituality or for your good person. What will matter is that you are connected with Christ in a deep, meaningful way. And that is the only place of growth. There is growth in no other place. And so I know that's hard, parents. I mean, we got some teens in here, and you're like, been telling your teens not to do all these things. But we got to tell our teens, no, what you need is intimacy with God. And God will sort out all those things. Not you. You're not the Holy Spirit, Mom and Dad. Pastor's not the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm on my adventure with God. And each of you are on your adventure with God. Don't live your spiritual life through me. I won't live mine through you. But God wants to be near to you this morning. So that's it for this morning. One of my favorite things on Sunday to do is when we worship together at the end. And it's always such a powerful moment for me. And so I want to invite you to, if you just stand with me, and we're going to worship together. We're going to to sing our response back to God. If you do that with me together this morning.